Welcome to our service tonight. We're going to start with number 601, Lead On, O King Eternal. When I think of this hymn and the thought of the Lord's leading and direction, I often think about Abraham's servant as he was sent out to find a wife for Isaac. His responsibility was a great one because Eleazar the servant knew Uh, the import of what he was caused to do and challenged to do. Because of the promise that God had given to Abraham, it was a messianic promise, and therefore there was much upon that. And so he went in the fear of God, Eleazar, to find uh, the wife for Isaac. And when the Lord opened the door and showed him, he bowed and he worshipped God, and he said, I being in the way, the Lord led me. That's a good prayer for us all as God's people to ask about each day. We get up in the morning and begin what we have to do, the responsibilities, to say, Lord, I need your guidance today. I need you to be with me. And so as we start our service tonight, we're asking for God to lead us in our life, to lead us in our congregation, to lead us forward in all that we do, we'll glorify Him. Let's stand to sing. Still our hearts, please, now before the Lord, and come to Him in prayer. Gracious Father, once more we begin our service, both in song and worship, and in the worship of prayer. We come, Lord, to give thanks and to acknowledge that we are here once more by Thy sovereign, merciful grace. 
Lord, we do not take it for granted that we can be here in the place of worship where the Word of God is opened and we desire to hear of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit speaking through the Word. Lord, these times of worship and gathering are very special. And I pray, Lord, that all of us would account them for the value that they are to us in our own spirits, that we will grow in grace, in the knowledge of our Lord. As the Apostle said, Oh, that I might know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. Lord, we need great grace, especially for that last part. We will suffer well for our Lord when we are called upon to do it. It will not be with complaint, but it will be, O God, to say that we want to bear a testimony for our Lord in times when it's good for us, in times when we enjoy the circumstances, and other times when it seems to be, Lord, very hard. Help us to see through it and to walk by faith and to trust that our God does all things well. Dear Lord, pour out a double portion of Your grace and Spirit upon us. We need that, Lord, in our life day by day. And I pray that tonight, as we open the Scriptures, that the Holy Spirit would write them on our hearts, that there would be application of the truth. Teach us, Lord, as we want to walk before You. We want our, our congregation to be a New Testament church, to follow the model of the Word. We want, O oh Lord, to follow in that pattern that has been set for us. Keep us, we pray, from straying away. Keep us from bringing in things that are not according to Your purpose. Let every part of our fellowship, our worship, the opening of the Scriptures, the singing of the praises that we offer, let it all be, Father, to the glory of Your holy name. And dear Father, hear us tonight. Encourage the hearts of those who are here Bless those who are watching our service online. And dear Lord, we pray that as we have just come through a week of great blessing, of meeting each night in prayer, carry us forward, Lord, in the joy and strength of those times. And give us, we pray, a hunger and a thirst for more. And that the thirst we have for spiritual things will be quenched. Lord, the Spirit of God will show us from the Word how we might walk closer and know more of Your joy and blessing. Help us to realize our possessions in Christ, in the Gospel. To realize that, Lord, we've been forgiven of our sin. There is no condemnation against us anymore. We are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Let us walk each day in the joy and blessing and power of that truth. And let not the devil discourage any heart, but help us to be a strong witness for the gospel. Help us to pray and to know the leading of the Spirit each day. We would say, lead on, O King Eternal. 
our blessed Savior, we're asking today that we would be guided and directed and not allowed to go astray. If we're left to ourselves, Lord, for a moment, we would drift away. But therefore, we pray that the, the guiding, directing hand of the Spirit would be in our hearts and minds and lives. Open up doors of witness, we pray, and testifying. Give us the joy of sharing our faith simply and clearly. Help us, we pray, to point men and women to the gospel and to Christ. Lord, we ask that there would be a greater ingathering of souls and people in our own fellowship. Lord, hear our prayer tonight, we ask. Draw near to us. We're thankful for the number of visitors that have been coming in. And Lord, help us to show them an encouragement and help us to make ourselves available to them for their time of need. And dear Lord, I pray that if they do not know Christ, they would come to taste and see that He is good and gracious and kind, loving and forgiving. And I pray that there would be a building up in our most holy faith, encouraging one another in the gospel, bearing the burdens one of another. When one rejoices, we rejoice with them. When another is grieving, we understand and share the weight of that grief. Lord, touch the, the bodies of those that we have been earnestly praying for, specifically remembering. Remembering again tonight, Reverend Stephen Hamilton. Lord, put your hand upon him and bless him. We pray for uh, Glenn McFarlane. You would be near to him and help him, Lord, touch his body very specifically. And Calvin Golliher, remember him, Lord, in prayer the ones locally in our own congregation. Father, we gather them all under the umbrella of Your divine goodness and blessing. Hear our prayer tonight. So, Lord, be with us now. Encourage our hearts. Remember, Lord, all of our missionaries. Put Your hand upon them. Continue to bless them. We ask, dear Father, for our school rejoicing in the great ministry that You have raised up here. Dear God, put Your protecting hand and rich blessing upon every single teacher, every parent, every student, everyone who is volunteering and helping from the administration right down. Lord, supply every need that we have. Uh, be with us now, we pray. Bless us for this evening time. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Please we'll continue in our, in our praise to the Lord, number 224. And let's stand again as we sing.
again. You may be seated, and that is good praise when we think about saying how we love Thy church, O God. We're not talking about this building. Uh, we call this our church, but this is much more than that. I love the church of Christ. It's the body of His people. It's the gathering together of all those who truly are the Lord's. And we think about that, our little congregation, small in number though it may be, we, we are but a, a small part of the worldwide global body of Christ. And we pray with rejoicing, knowing that God is saving His people. He is bringing them in. And sometimes they are in circumstances that are very different from ours. And under great persecution and trial and difficulty, well, we hold up our brothers and sisters earnestly in our praying. Reading our Scriptures now tonight, we have two different places. First of all, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and then in Hebrews chapter 13. First Timothy chapter 3, the first eight verses. <clears throat> this is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre of money, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the house of God? Not a novice, a beginner, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. And then please, turning over to the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 7. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation, their behavior. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats, which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. 
We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore Jesus also, that He might sanctify the people with His own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth therefore unto Him without the camp, bearing His reproach. For here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. By Him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. May the Lord bless these readings to our own hearts tonight as we have read. And as I mentioned this morning, I want to speak to you tonight on the office and the responsibility and the character of the elder as we are making our own preparations in this congregation for the election of two new men to that office. Before we get to that, I want to welcome you all tonight to our evening service. Very glad that you are here in person, and we pray that you'd receive a, a blessing from the Lord in our time tonight. And those viewing our service online, I want you to know you're very welcome as well. We had a very special week of prayer during this past week, and we are still rejoicing in those times of fellowship, of worship, and of leaving our petitions before the Lord. We focused each night on a different aspect of what we feel we have need of and for the ministries God has placed within our hands. And we were thinking on Tuesday evening about prayer for our elders and our deacons and our workers in the church and how we need much to know God's gracious blessing on us and as we're going to be a, a continual witness in our community, in our land, in this time, well, we need God to raise up men who are in those places of authority and of direction for us. So this is a very important thing that we are thinking about and praying for. Today you will notice that the members of the congregation, that list has been posted for you in the bulletin board out in the foyer. And also, there is a list of the men who are eligible from our membership that are there for your nomination. So what we would like you to do, if you wish to, as you're a member of the congregation, uh, next Lord's Day, you will be able to get a nomination paper, and then you can pray much and think about the men that you would like to think, choosing two of those that you would like to see nominated for that office. 
And then on the 11th of February, well, we'll be, you'll be able to give those papers back to Mr. Fraser, who is the clerk of our session, and then he will be able to process those papers. We're asking you to do this prayerfully before the Lord, and we are hoping in the will of God at our annual general meeting in the month of April that that is when we will have the election for uh, these elders in the will of God. We leave everything before Him and what He would choose for our congregation. Please remember, after our service tonight, we'll be having a time of fellowship downstairs, some light refreshments. We hope you'll be able to stay with us and enjoy each other's company. Tuesday evening, the ladies' Bible study recommences, and that will be at 7 p.m. on Zoom. And if you haven't been able to join on that time yet, ladies in the congregation, or even someone who's watching our service online, well, you can contact uh, Brother David or Jonathan McAnally or one of the ladies in the church, and they'll be able to show you or tell you just how you can get online uh, for that meeting. Please remember also Wednesday, our regular midweek Bible study and prayer time, that will be at 7.30. And then don't forget all of our services next Lord's Day with our Bible classes starting at 9.45 in the morning, 11 and 6.30. Those are all the ministry announcements that we have to share with you. If the Lord is directing you regarding your offering, your tithes and offering, uh, we've had much blessing from God's people in giving to the Lord's work. The offering boxes are on the wall in the foyer, and there are envelopes there if you would like to have a charitable receipt for that. And giving unto the Lord, it is a great blessing, a great privilege He blesses us with. And the Lord said, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. Simply supplying the work of God is by God's people. And that's how we are to go forward. And oftentimes in missionary contexts or doing the work of the Lord, well, oftentimes it's a lack of funds or at least a hindrance of that way. It stops the work from going even farther. So we want to give unto the Lord as He has blessed us. Happy tonight. Our brother Caleb C. is with us and he is going to bring a message in song tonight. And our brother Daniel Santos is accompanying him on the piano. Whose heart is kind beyond. 
lives unto each day what he deems best. Lovingly, it's part of pain and pleasure, mingling toil with peace and rest. Every day the Lord himself is Thank you, men, for ministering to us tonight in that way. May the Lord ever keep us looking and anticipating and waiting and keeping our eyes upon Him. We're going to turn now in our Scriptures tonight to the book of Titus. Book of Titus, chapter 1, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. But hath in due times manifested His Word, 
through preaching, which is committed unto me, according to the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus, mine own son after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly, for a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially them of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said, The Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables, commandments of men, that turn from the truth. Unto the pure, all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and their conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. The aged women likewise, they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. They may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, at the word of God, be not blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded, in all things showing thyself a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. May God bless His Word to our hearts. Please, we'll bow for a moment's prayer. Lord, as we come to 
And this word now tonight, as the Scriptures have been open, Lord, there is great clarity in these words. But I pray that we will have understanding that goes beyond. The Holy Spirit will write the truth upon every heart. Lord, hear us. As we desire, Lord, to have our fellowship and our church directed by the Scripture, we want to follow the pattern of the Word as closely as we can. Therefore, Lord, we are seeking for wisdom and for light and discernment. Go in front of us, Lord. Go in front of us especially as we are thinking in our own fellowship of the addition of two new men to this session. Lord, it is clearly Your will in the Word that elders should be ordained to local works. And therefore, in following that pattern, we're seeking, Father, for Your mind. Help now tonight in this Word and bless to every heart we pray. In Jesus' holy name, amen. The character and the work of the elder. We have read here in Titus now about three rather significant markers of a faithful New Testament church, and it boils down to this sound doctrine, the sovereignty of God in salvation, sound government, how the New Testament structure of the church is to be governed with elders and deacons, and then sound worship. Well, the preaching of the Word of truth faithfully in the person and the work of our Lord Jesus Christ, and of course, the soundness of worship enters in also to our praise that the Lord is to be worshipped in the beauty of holiness. So as we face the prospect of the election of two new elders to our congregation, it's vital that we have a very clear understanding set forth in the Scripture about this necessity and the importance of this office in the church. The ongoing deed of the church from the beginning of the New Testament time is that godly, wise men who are able for the office, men who have varied responsibilities, would be brought to this place of leadership in the day in which we are finding ourselves. Because as we look locally and we see what we know ourselves in our time, there is increasing compromise in the visible church. There is a growing worldliness, which we always have to fight against in our own hearts as well, in our own fellowship, but also in the broader spectrum of the church. And we need to have men, therefore, that are raised up as pillars not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, men who are fervent in spirit and are interested in the things of God. And you know, I want to take a moment and just pay tribute to the elders that God has raised up in our own congregation. Honorable, God-fearing, Christ-like men who trust in the Lord and who bear up this work in their own prayers, 
men who are faithful in every good work. And this is the need not only in our congregation, and we can thank God for that, but as moderator of our presbytery and having closer association with the needs that we have in many of our congregations, there is a need for men to come to that office of eldership, to come to the place of being deacons in our local churches. And so what we have here is, well, we can say it in a very positive way, it is a coveted thing because of the blessings that God has put upon us. And so we pray that what blessings that we enjoy in these matters will be shared and will be known by our sister congregations. What's the origin of this whole idea of an elder? Well, the basic meaning of the word is quite simple and straightforward. It's a person of maturity, one who has lived long enough to understand something of the human condition, who has learned the lessons of life and behaves with wisdom, maybe in their family, of course, and in society. So it's kind of a general description of a person that is an elder and is looked upon with some element of esteem in any society. Most civilizations have those people are in that place of authority, and it's by reason of age or their experience, and they are considered then to be qualified in some degree to at least rule or give good advice. Therefore, it's not surprising that a word is used in the root meaning of this as simply meaning old age. The Hebrew word translated elder means old men or ancients. So if I was to say to you, we're looking to have the election of two ancients in our congregation, well, it might be a slightly different perspective in your mind about that. The whole idea behind it are men clothed with common sense. Men clothed with the experience of years. And when we're thinking about this from a faith context as a believer, someone who has that knowledge the first reference to this in the Old Testament by way of a plurality of elders or more than just one in a place of authority, we find that in Exodus 3 verse 16 where God told Moses to gather the elders of Israel when he was going to tell them in Egypt that they were going to be delivered. So at that time there were men who were known by the people of Israel, the children of Israel at that time. And then a little bit advanced in Exodus 24, verse 1, after they'd been brought out of Egypt, there was a fixed number of 70 elders, and they were commanded to come to the tabernacle, and the Lord said He would take some of Moses' spirit and place that upon them. And the idea behind that was they were going to stand with Moses, they were going to share some of the burden that Moses had in the governance and oversight of all the children of Israel. So according to Deuteronomy, the elders acted as judges. What did they do? Well, when there was an apprehension of criminals, murderers, when there was some conducting of inquiry 
of either wrongdoing or a judgment question, settling of marriage problems. In the cities of refuge that were set up, three on one side of Jordan, three on another side, so if someone was fleeing from someone who thought they were, had committed a crime, if there was a murder in question, they could flee to a city of refuge, and the elders in those cities had to adjudicate, was the person guilty or were they innocent? And so they had that responsibility upon them. On the other side of the coin, not always did the elders act in right ways, because in Samuel's day it was the elders, it were, were the elders as a group, that desired to have a king. And we thought about that on uh, Friday evening at the week of prayer. We were considering something about that situation, but here was a case where it didn't turn out always the best. Now, in the New Testament, the elders of the Jews, they shared responsibility and governance with the chief priests in determining religious matters, and that the office of the Jews was a continuation of the Old Testament that was brought through. So, in the New Testament church, we find this work and position of an elder defined as there is going to be the operation within the church itself. And there are two words that are used in the New Testament interchangeably for the office or the position of an elder. And the one word is presbyteros. It means an older man referring to age or rank, from which the word presbyter and our word Presbyterian comes from. The other word is the word episkopos, which means overseer. And sometimes it's translated by our translators in the authorized version as the word bishop. The root of this word is the word scopio. It means to look, to examine, to be critical in that examination. And we get some of our English words like telescope or stethoscope from that, which means to examine something either close or far off. Turn with me for a moment to the book of Acts chapter 20. I want to show you how these two words appear in this chapter as the Apostle Paul was giving a final word to the elders in Ephesus. First of all, in verse 17 of Acts chapter 20, "...and from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church." Paul was on his final missionary journey, and he was sailing past the, in the Mediterranean, and he did not have time to go up to Ephesus, the city, so he called the elders to come down and meet him at Miletus, and there he began to instruct them with some final instruction. But the point is that the word elders there is the word presbyteros. A little bit farther down, in verse 28 of Acts 20, these well-known words, he said to them, "'Take heed therefore unto yourselves 
and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. That word overseers there is the Greek word episkopos, and it has to do just with that very thing about observing, governing, overseeing, helping. And so it shows us in this one portion of Scripture, as the Apostle Paul is appealing and directing his words to those who were the overseers of the church in Ephesus, that he calls them in one place presbyters, and in the same chapter he also calls them uh, overseers, or the word episkopos. So it simply tells us that those two words were used to unfold or to illuminate the particular responsibility of those men who were elders, the office that they had, the function they had to fulfill, and we learn further in 1 Timothy and Titus about the character of these particular men. The word bishop, it's interesting to note, is never used to denote a different or a special office than that of an elder. In Philippians chapter 1 and the opening verse, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus which are at Philippi with the bishops, the episcopos, and the deacons. And what's interesting to note here is that the bishops are plural, so it's not just one. It's used in the plurality of elders, and also it is separated from those who are the deacons. So there are two main offices that we are talking about here and emphasize, and within our governance, that is exactly how we approach that with the establishment of elders and of deacons. The Scripture makes um, a distinction here also between what is known as the teaching elder and a ruling elder, and you would have to go to 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17 to understand that, and I read it for you. It says, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and in doctrine. And so, the way we understand that within our denomination and Presbyterianism historically has looked at the elder that is the ruling elder, that would be the member of the congregation, and the way we have set it up within Presbyterianism is the teaching elder, that is my responsibility, but I am not a member of this local congregation. So if you look at the membership list, my name's not on there. And the reason for that is quite simply that the teaching elder is a member of presbytery. And so all the teaching elders, all the ministers of our local congregations, they have their membership in the presbytery. And the reason behind that and for that is for structure and order and check and balance. If there is a problem that arises 
in the local church with the minister, well, the responsibility of adjudicating or of judging or of seeing what the problem is, it must go back to the presbytery, and that is where the examination will be done there if there is some sort of an issue that will rise. And so, it's all done by purpose of clear and good governance. The whole system of Presbyterianism, based on the New Testament, is that of representation. What do I mean by that? It means that those who are members of a local congregation, they are the ones who have the responsibility to elect deacons, to elect elders, and to elect the minister for that congregation. And so, once the congregation votes to choose who they want to be their representatives, as we are seeking to do with elders, then the congregation is then governed by those representatives that have been chosen by the local uh, church. When uh, we were looking to elect elders, you may have heard me mention a couple of weeks ago about seeking moderation from the presbytery. And that's just a word that simply means we are informing the presbytery what we intend to do in our local congregation to have an election for our elders. And so when the, el when the presbytery receives that request, they will then vote to say, Yes, we acknowledge that this is a good thing and there's no reason why that cannot go forward, and so they would vote to allow that to proceed forward. Now, some people might get there, might be wondering, well, why is it that we should allow an outside body of the presbytery, who are ministers not part of this local congregation, and the other elders in the other churches, why should they be voting to say whether we should have an election of elders or not? When you understand the, uh, the whole way of a Presbyterianism works, you will find that all these things have been set up in place as way of guards and protections for the local congregation. So that if something begins to go wrong in a local church, if there is a problem that rises up somewhere, someplace, and the people in the pews want to know, well, how is the safeguard here? How can we be protected if there is something that's not going on right? Well, that's where you have an overseeing body of presbytery, of the presbytery that will help and give assistance and aid in this. So that one church is not going to go rogue. They're not going to run away and do something completely away from the constitution of what they have agreed to be a part of. And that's why it's helpful to have these things in place. But once an elder has been chosen by a local congregation, and then they are ordained by the laying on of the hands of the presbytery, now they become under God, God's servants. They become God's ministers. And they're not part of just a club. Uh, they're not part of just an organization. But they are ordained before God to be His servants to conduct 
the business of Christ's church. And now, my dear friends, you see the level of responsibility and the level of accountability takes a whole new level. And that's why it's important as we are calling and asking the congregation to think seriously about this. Because what we're talking about here is the God-appointed means of governing and guiding and disciplining within the local church. And it's the Lord's way. It's the Lord's way of maintaining His local assemblies. Literally, elders and ministers are the Lord's governors. And as we think about that tonight, I've given you an extensive definition and some examples of the background of what it means to look at eldership. And I want us to think, please, now in the first place about the requirements for an elder. It goes without saying that in order to govern the church of Christ, a man must be a member of that church. Now, this has a twofold part to it because in the first place, it is not talking about just being signed up as a member of the local church. It is in the first and foremost being a member of the body of Christ. Being someone who is born again by the Spirit of God and they have been joined to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They are born from above. And being born again by the Spirit of God, they then have the first step in qualification. But then in the local church context, there must be an order and a structure of membership if there's going to be proper governance. And that same man must be a member in good standing within the local church. An elder in this denomination must show those two qualifications. And when we think about that, as far as the Scripture unfolds to us what those requirements or qualifications are, the elder must be a man of faith. He must be a man who knows and loves Christ as his own Savior. He must be a man evidently that has spiritual maturity. And he must be a man of prayer. There are two main passages that deal with the qualifications of an elder in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and in Titus chapter 1. We read extensively from Titus chapter 1, and in the personal life of a man qualified to the position of an elder, they must be vigilant, sober, of clear thinking, in control of self or exhibiting self-control, given to temperance which is another word simply meaning self-control. And we are given specifically these aspects of not given to wine, 
or of anything that leads to irrational actions, always in self-control. The qualifications go on to speak of good behavior. The uh, Greek word is kosmios, and it means modest. And it's interesting, it comes from a word that has to do with the earth or the world, cosmos. And in that sense, in the arrangement of forces that are moving in an orderly manner. You think about that as it's put to the qualifications of someone to take the office. They must be a person that is in control, that is moving in an orderly manner under God and before the Lord, so that there's not radical extremes, not someone who is given to excesses, not someone who is not contained and controlled in their own thinking and life. But it goes on, someone is not to be greedy or covetous of filthy lucre, of dirty money. Someone who is going to be accurate and honest and fair in their income, in how they do their business in the world. In other words, it's not something that's going to be under-the-table types of transactions. Something is going to be above or on the table and done in fairness, in equity, ethical, above board, in all dealings. Because, of course, the, the outcome of that is this. If someone is not going to be transparently honest in their personal dealings, well, what's going to happen when they come into work in the, in the Lord's work? Oh, you want to have someone that's going to be very clear and honest and upright and ethical. And then, of course, it goes on beyond that to be a patient individual, gentle, equitable. And then further, Timothy, or in Titus, Paul spoke about the person not being a novice. The word is neophyte, and it means a new convert. And Paul goes on to explain the reason behind that, because if someone is immature in the faith, or if they're a new convert, what can happen is that they can become absorbed very quickly into being puffed up with pride, be thinking that they are somebody that they're not, and they were given over quickly to the temptations of the devil. And so a person has to be mature in their thinking. So we deal with the qualifications in personal life, but then there's another category that comes into family life. And the elder is said to be the husband of one wife. In other words, he is not to be a polygamist. There is some difference of opinion by different commentators as to the definition of that phrase, the husband of one wife, and it enters into the whole area of whether someone could be legitimately divorced in the New Testament and then also holding office. It does not mean that someone who is a widower cannot be remarried at that point and then able to hold office 
in, in, the, in, the, in that sense. But our denomination and our fellowship have really stuck to the meaning here in this sense that someone is not to be the husband of more than one wife at a time, not to be a polygamist, but also to be the husband of one wife, not a divorced person that is remarried and then trying to hold the office of an elder. In 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 2, it speaks of elder women. And the word there is presbyteros. And in that portion, some may think that there's an indication that women would have a place in the eldership, in the governance of the local church. However, in that same chapter in verse 1, it is not speaking about the office of eldership, but of age and of seniority and the need to be respectful and gentle to those who by reason of years deserve such respect. And that has to do with whether it's a man or a woman in that sense. And it is the respect of eldership in that sense of years. So the elder is to be a person and one who rules his own house well, we are told. One who governs his own home with authority and with truth and fairness, because in so governing their own home, they are to, by extension, be able to govern the house of God with that same fairness and truth and equity. Children in subjection with all gravity or with all seriousness, and Titus records this in this way, not being riotous or unruly. Because, of course, the, by extension, the same thing applies, that if the man does not know how to govern his own household, how then can that be applied to the house of God? John Gill, the commentator, he made this note. He said, keeping a good decorum in his family, obliging his children to observe his orders and especially the rules of God's Word, and not as Eli, who did not use his authority or lay his commands upon his sons, nor restrain them from evil, or severely reproved them for their sins, but he neglected them and was too mild and gentle with them. And that's talking about Eli, the high priest, back in the days of Samuel, when Hophni and Phinehas, his sons, were running roughshod over the whole priesthood, and they were abusing themselves left, right, and center, uh, doing unspeakable things. And yet Eli did not restrain them, he did not remove them, he did not rebuke them, with any force or direction. And so, that is not how the church of Christ is to be governed, but rather Abraham. Abraham, God said of him that he knew him, that he would command his children and his household to keep the way of the Lord. Genesis chapter 18. So, we have, in the sense, the private life of the elder and the family life, 
but also we're directed about the public life, one that is to be given to hospitality. A lover of hospitality actually is what that means. Faithful in the Word, to be someone of sound doctrine, able to exhort and to convince the gainsayer, which simply means to know the Scriptures, to know the Word of God, so that if someone comes into the church and is going to begin to put forward thoughts or ideas, the elders are to be those who are knowledgeable in the Word of God and to be able to confront, address, and stop such heresies from entering into the local fellowship. Not a striker, not a man given to violence, not a heated, angry person, but someone who is again in control, not given over to brawling or fighting or carousing in that same spirit or way, which is in line with a temperate man in self-control, which, by the way, does not mean that such a man would not be legitimately able to defend himself or to defend his family if they came under attack. That is not meaning that at all. God calls us, in this sense, to be those who are willing to protect those in our own homes and near to us, or neighbors and friends, if the case was to arise. But called to be just and holy and not to be self-willed. But there's a word for the wives here in this as well, because in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 11, though it is in this sense speaking under the category of the office of the deacon, the application to the eldership and the deaconship, because those qualifications are virtually identical, the advice is given to the wives not to be slanderers, to be grave and sober and faithful in all things. The word grave means to be venerated for their character, to be honorable. And the same word translated is honest. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, whatsoever things are true and whatsoever things are honest. And so these basic qualifications, which you could say would be applicable to all Christians, of course, but it's, it becomes defined as we're dealing with the office of a man that's going to be an elder or a deacon. The wife also has a high responsibility. Not being a slanderer, the word for that is diabolos, translated 35 times in the New Testament, devil. And so the connection of someone who slanders is doing the work of the devil. What does the devil do? Well, he is the accuser of the brethren. He is the one who undermines the standing of those who are righteous. And so that is not to be ever found in the communication of us as Christians, and specifically it's dealing with the, the words that are spoken by those who are the wives of 
deacons and elders, not a false accuser, but to be sober and vigilant and not to be engaged in anything that's going to impair judgment, faithful in all things and trustworthy. Again, Mr. Gill commented that the elders' wives must be as their husbands, grave in speech, gesture, and dress of an honest report, good behavior, and chaste conversation, which will reflect honor and be a credit to their husbands. You know, all of this is summed up by the word that Paul used about the elders being blameless. The man of God, the elder, is in all things in his life to have a, this as a foundation or a capstone as well. He is to be a man that is beyond reproach. So we have thought at some length about the, the requirements of eldership in the personal life, in family life, in public life. But let's think for a moment in the second place about the solemn obligation that is required and upon this office. Back in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, Paul said to them, "'Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Spirit hath made you overseers.'" to feed the church of God, which He hath purchased with His own blood. So there is a very high standard, a very high obligation that is being set by the Holy Spirit upon the men who have been put in that place and that position to feed the church of Christ, to feed those whom God, whom Christ Himself has purchased with His own blood. Not a light thing. The verse speaks clearly of the solemn duty of the elder. He does not go forward under his own aims or goals. He is a man sent from God. A man sent from God to take care don't let the, your mind drift away with the idea of an overseer as some kind of a lord, some kind of a king that's going to rule and govern. But it's not that at all. It, what it is, it is the idea of taking care or of giving care, a caregiver. That's really what an elder is in the local congregation to see to the needs, to attend to the needs, to pray for those who are in need. Sent from God to do what? To feed the church. And how will that feeding be done? Well, all of us as elders, whether we are a teaching elder or a ruling elder, all have the responsibility of the oversight in the church before God to see, is the congregation being fed? Each year, as we prepare for our presbytery in May, 
There is an examination questionnaire that is sent out by the presbytery to every local church to be filled out by the minister and by the elders and by the deacons as it applies to the financial structure and the order and right business practices and so on. But the questions are put to the elders. Is the congregation observing faithfully and the worship of God on the Lord's day? Are we observing faithfully the Lord's table and the ordinances of the New Testament and questions that go down through wanting to be assured that the local church being cared for by the elders that is being conducted and helped and forwarded. The highest price has been paid for God's people by the blood of Christ. You are the children of the Lord. You are under the possession of God. You've been adopted into His kingdom. But how does the Lord want to see the local church operating and going forward and growing and being encouraged? This is how the God of heaven has structured His local assemblies to be overseen and to be helped and to be aided. In 1 Peter chapter 5, these words I read for you. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. And he goes on, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. That's again that word comes up, filthy lucre, in Timothy and Titus and now again in Peter. There's something important there to be emphasized that the Lord sees the need for openness and honesty and good business practice among those who are said to be leaders in the local churches. So much has gone awry, gone wrong in local churches when you hear either of minister or of people in responsibility of the funds and finances of the church scaving off with money. And we often talk about the charlatans of the faith healers that are bringing in millions and millions of dollars and living with opulence and living with, well, on so-called the Lord's money, living on what people have donated for the understanding of a good cause and the right cause of the Lord. There is good reason why the Holy Spirit mentions money three times here about this, how it has to be dealt with very carefully and openly and honestly before the Lord. Not to be lords over God's heritage, not to be those who are the, the kings over the people of God, but to be gentle and caring and loving. Remember, we are told and we read in Hebrews 13 and 7, remember them that have the rule over you who have spoken the word of God, whose faith follow considering the end of their conversation, their end of their behavior. For when the two words 
that we've been thinking about that are used for elders, the word presbyteros and the word episkopos, these two things come together. They stand for both the office of the elder and the character and work and responsibility of the elder. And the man is to govern in wisdom, a caring man to oversee, speaking of that duty of taking care and of watching, for they are to watch over the souls of God's children. The final thought I leave with you tonight is about the lasting reward of those who are called to that office. And I think of what God said to Samuel and ultimately to Eli back those many years ago, them that honor me, I will honor. That's a good motto that can be over the life of every single Christian, but as it applies to the eldership, it is a true thing. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12, it says, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. So the onus is placed back on the congregation to acknowledge those evidently raised up by the Lord because of their testimony, because of their work among you, and to have a great respect for them, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. And so in conclusion tonight, brothers and sisters, and you see these seven points that are simply on the screen as bullet points. The elder is to be blameless, but not perfect. Blameless, but not perfect. You know, it's, it's easy to point fingers at another Christian at times. And it's very easy to say, oh, that man's an elder in the church, but they did this or they did that. And we can be sometimes guilty of pointing fingers back and forth. Let's be very careful because we are all sinners saved by grace. And as God has brought and placed the responsibility upon a man to oversee in the local church, let's pray for them. Make sure you're doing your part to pray and not to criticize and not to be pointing fingers. For God calls us to be blameless, but we are still your brothers and sisters in Christ, and we are imperfect men. The Lord calls elders to be a teacher, but also to be teachable, to have that spirit of humility and willingness to learn. The elder is to be someone who is meek, but not to be a pushover, not to be someone who is going to be a doormat 
just to do the bidding of someone who says, hey, how come we can't get this done, or why should we go in this direction? No, meekness, though as Moses was, was a great example and character trait of a child of God, but not to be someone pushed over. Sober-minded, seriously-minded, but not to be morose. Someone who knows how to have a laugh, have a good sense of humor. That's important in the work of God. A personable individual, but not a respecter of persons. There's a, a world of difference in that. In judgment, when we are looking at circumstances, we're not just to say, well, I like that person, and therefore I'll look at it in their favor. That's to be a respecter of person. The Lord doesn't want that. But He wants us to be someone who is able to communicate and to be able to speak to the needs of the individual where they are and to be personable and friendly. Someone who is a hard-working man and not a loafer, not a freeloader, but to be Christ-like in all things. And the truth of Micah chapter 6 and verse 8 summarizes the whole picture very well. God calls us to do justly, to be one who loves mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. And brothers and sisters, as we are seeking the Lord to this end, we pray that the Lord would continue to pour out His blessing on us, to continue to make use of us as His people, and to raise us up for the next generation, that we will continue to be of useful service in the kingdom of our Lord. Friends, I've been speaking tonight to those who are Christians and to the ministry of those in the local church, but it may be that you are either here and you're not a Christian, or you're watching our service online tonight, or maybe at another time. And I say to you, come to Christ and know Him as your Lord and Savior. Know Him as your own, because as you call upon Him, as you repent of your sin, you can know the joy and peace of everlasting life. And as you taste and see the Lord is good, you will know Him and you will love Him, and He will be yours, and you will receive the gift of everlasting life. Let that be your portion tonight. We'll close our service now singing this hymn, number 589. Soldiers of Christ, arise and put your armor on, strong in the strength which God supplies through His eternal Son. Let's stand, please, as we sing.
Father, hear our prayer tonight, we ask, that in Christ's name that you would work in the hearts of any who are unsaved. Lord, save for time and for eternity. And Lord, write the truth of the Scriptures we've been thinking about upon each of our hearts. Let them settle down upon us. Let us take them home with us tonight. Pray over them. Seek your face, Lord, that we would know your divine hand revealed to us. Touch the hearts of the men right now in our own congregation, that you would place this burden of eldership upon them. For we have read, it is a good thing to desire the office of an elder. And so, Father, hear our prayers tonight. Bless our time of fellowship downstairs afterward. Receive our thanksgiving for the food provided, and most of all, Lord, for the good fellowship that we will enjoy. Part us now in your fear, with your rich blessing. For we pray all these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen.